This is BT Techno, a regular podcast series for financial advisors wanting to remain at the forefront of strategy, regulatory and industry news. Hello and welcome to today's BT Techno podcast. My name is Brian Ashenden and I have the pleasure of leading the BT Technical Services team, a team of experts available to answer any advice, technical queries you may have about strategies for your clients. In one of our recent BT Academy technical webinars, available via www.bt.com.au forward slash professional, one of our BT technical consultants, Matt Manning, addressed the topic of tax residency and the implications that arise when somebody becomes or ceases to be an Australian tax resident. While changing tax residency may sound far-fetched in the current COVID environment, when international borders do reopen, it may well become a hot topic. Now, the number of questions raised in that webinar showed just how important an understanding of this topic is for many advisors. So in today's podcast, I'll hand the microphone over to Matt to discuss the most common questions raised in his recent webinar, and he'll provide some more detailed answers to those questions. Matt, over to you. Thanks. On the 25th of August, I delivered episode 33 of our fortnightly webinar series titled I Now Call Australia Home. If you're interested but missed, you can still watch on demand by clicking on this session in the webinars menu in BT Academy. There are a few questions resulting from this session, quite a few actually, which is great. Um, so this podcast will address what I think are the four most interesting questions which were asked by advisors during and after the session. Question one related to the income tax section of the session. Matt, you said during the session that there's no withholding tax applied when a non-tax resident of Australia receives a frank dividend from their Australian shares and managed funds. But how do they claim a refund of the franking credit in Australia or their country of residence? Well, I'll answer the first part of that question definitively. From an Australian perspective, non-tax residents cannot claim a refund of franking credits. Looking at this from a mechanics perspective, such dividend income is not declared as part of an Australian tax return. In fact, the majority of non-residents don't need to submit an Australian tax return, even if they own Australian shares and managed funds. Instead, the dividend income is subject to the withholding regime, which means that generally the tax should be withheld at the source of payment. And whilst the tax rate of withholding for a frank dividend is nil, non-resident withholding tax is still a final withholding tax. This means that from an Australian perspective, the withholding tax is the end of the story. That is, no more to pay and no refunds regardless of the taxpayer's individual circumstances. So definitely no refund in Australia. Now, as far as the second part of the question, and when the clients, whether the clients of um, country of residency will provide a refund, uh, I can't definitively answer as this would involve having intimate knowledge of the tax systems of other countries, which I don't. Uh, but from my general understanding, other countries would be very unlikely to provide such a refund. A frank dividend exists because the company has paid company tax on this amount. That is, this tax is not directly levied on the individual investor. Whereas my understanding is that the type of tax which the double tax treaties recognise as a credit when the co client's country of residence is taxing under their jurisdiction is the withholding tax that's applied at the individual level which for dividends only applies to unfranked dividends and in most cases is at a rate of 15%, but this does vary. So going a bit further, this is likely to influence or perhaps even skew investment decisions. As many Australians love our franking credits from frank dividends, 
But if they effectively become useless once someone becomes a non-resident, then given all else equal, they may choose instead to invest in other types of investments which have a history of paying other types of income such as unfranked dividends. Question two related to the superannuation section of the session. Can a non-resident make a concessional contribution to an Australian super fund by making a personal contribution and claiming a tax deduction? So yes, this is possible, but only where the client has um, income that's taxable in Australia, which generally is only those who during their period of non-residency continue to own and receive rent from an Australian property. Ignoring an SMSF or small APRA fund, um, where there's some different rules regarding the, the residency status, uh, everything else pretty much including the contribution caps and standards are the same for residents and non-residents. And for a personal contribution claimed as a tax deduction, a requirement is a taxpayer must have enough taxable income to offset the deduction. Going back to question one, where the non-resident of Australia was receiving dividend income, as this is subject to the withholding regime rather than income tax, there would be no taxable income to offset via the personal contribution claimed as a deduction. So for this strategy, we're only really looking at non-resident clients who have Australian taxable income, which usually would be limited to those receiving rental income from real estate, such as residential or commercial property that's located in Australia. This is because this is taxable Australian property, and therefore the income is taxable in Australia at non-resident tax rates. From an Australian perspective, the strategy can be very favourable as non-resident tax rates start from 32.5 cents on the first dollar of taxable income, which obviously compares favourably to the 15% contributions tax applicable to concessional contributions. However, this is only part of the picture. The other part that we can't answer is what are the tax consequences in the client's country of residence? So if a non-resident taxpayer of Australia is receiving rental income from an Australian property, making a personal contribution and claiming a tax deduction is worth considering and definitely tax effective from an Australian perspective. Um, however, prior to doing so, in order to assess whether the strategy is overall beneficial, it'd be prudent for the client to seek specialist tax advice in their country of residency. Question three related to the CGT section. And during the session, I covered the main residence exemption of an Australian property for someone who becomes a non-resident. Basically, the tax outcome is disastrous if the client sells the former main residence whilst a non-resident. So from a tax perspective, it's best to try and sell the property before their departure from Australia, or if they're going to return to Australia as an Australian tax resident in the future, wait until doing so before selling the property. Question three was sort of the other way around, which was uh, what happens if a client who is a non-tax resident, say residing in the UK, uh, purchases and resides in a property in the UK and then a few years later becomes an Australian resident for tax purposes and then a few years after becoming the Australian tax resident sells their UK property. So question this scenario is from an Australian CGT perspective, are they eligible to claim the main residence exemption including the absence provision? And the answer to that is yes, assuming all the usual criteria are satisfied to claim the main residence exemption and the absence provision. This criteria includes that the client's moved into the dwelling as soon as practical after purchase 
and they have not and will not apply the main residence exemption to another property for this period. Therefore, this would only be practical if they have been renting since they've uh, arrived in Australia or if they did purchase a property in which to live in Australia, they were prepared to forego the main residence exemption on this Australian property for this period in favour of the foreign property. I think this is quite a surprising outcome, uh, but it's the sort of thing that is the case by omission, because there's nothing which prevents the absence provision applying to a property which was owned prior to becoming a resident. And fortunately, the ATO agrees, uh, and the reference for this is Tax Determination 95-7. In such situations, this allows a main residence exemption to continue to the former main residence foreign property for up to six years if the property is used to produce income, or if not used to produce income, the absence provision can apply indefinitely. However, as with before, there may also be foreign tax considerations when making such decisions. Question four relates to an example during the session involving CGT upon death and uh, what should be considered where there's a non-resident beneficiary of an estate. Continuing on from this example, question four was, where a 90-year-old client has a large crystallised capital loss they've been carrying forward for some time, can they will this carry forward loss to a beneficiary uh, or can their estate in some way utilise? And the answer to this are no and no. A crystallised capital loss can only be carried forward or used by the taxpayer who created the crystallised capital loss. Once that person passes away, the carry forward loss also effectively dies with them uh, and cannot be used by their estate or anyone else. Now, whilst this is a no, uh, this rule does create some strategy opportunities and these apply whether or not the prospective beneficiaries are tax residents of Australia or non-tax residents. For example, in this situation, if the 90-year-old client currently also owns an asset which, if sold, would generate um, a large capital gain, then if they themselves now choose to sell this asset, it would have the incidental tax benefit of allowing the carry-forward capital loss to be utilised. Purely from a CGT and estate planning perspective, this compares favourably to the carry-forward loss expiring upon death and CGT being payable upon the resident beneficiary's disposal of this asset or the estate becoming subject to CGT if the estate sells this asset or distributes the asset to a non-resident beneficiary. Thank you. Thanks, Matt, for delving into the main themes of questions from the webinar in more detail. Now, if you missed Matt's webinar or you want to watch it again, head to www.bt.com.au forward slash professional and follow the links to the BT Academy webinar series where you can find that webinar and all our previous webinars which have all been accredited for CPD points. And you can also register for our next fortnightly webinar which will be held on Wednesday the 22nd of September when I'll be asking and answering the question, are there wholesale changes coming to advice? October 2021 will bring a number of regulatory changes to advisors and advice practices, from the implementation of the design and distribution obligations through to breach reporting obligations and dispute resolution processes. Now in this session, we will provide a reminder on these impending changes, as well as explore the definition of who can qualify as a wholesale client for advice purposes. And remember, if you have any technical advice strategy questions, you can call our BT Technical Services team on 1800 655 901 or send the team an email at technical at btfinancialgroup.com. Until next time, bye for now.
VT Tech knows, and now you know. Join us next time to keep ahead of the curve for strategy, regulatory and industry news. This podcast has been developed for financial advisor use only and provides general information only. It does not take into account any particular individual's objectives, financial situations or needs.